Welcome to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. I'm Amanda. And I'm Elizabeth. Thanks for joining us today. Welcome back to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. Today we're talking about taxes. There's been a lot of payments and things like that that come into play this year. So we have Barry Ward with us. He's the director of the OSU Income Tax Schools with OSU Extension. Um, So thanks for coming on, Barry. My pleasure. One of the um, things I think that comes to the forefront is um, prevented plant. We had a lot of that across the state this year, and there are some insurance payments being made. So what are the options farmers have with those payments? Yeah, right, Amanda. We've got some unusual types of payments this year, so farmers are are having to deal with a lot of different uh, tax implications with these different payments. Uh, The number one thing that uh, we've dealt with this year throughout Ohio is prevent plant indemnity payments. You know, they're going to be receiving these if they haven't already, and uh, they're going to wonder how they're going to insert those into their tax planning. So uh, luckily we have some flexibility. You know, we, we have the ability to defer these prevent plant indemnity payments. Now, crop insurance payments can be deferred if they're due to some type of yield loss. Uh, in other words, uh, some kind of natural uh, damage, uh, naturally occurring damage. So that's something that uh, we can look forward to as a, as a planning piece. Uh, farmers have to um, fall into a certain category to be able to defer those indemnity payments, however. They, you know, they, they have to prove that historically, or in the p- recent past, they have sold at least half of their crop in the next year. Okay. So that's that's a big key point that, that's, that they're going to have to be able to prove if they were to be audited. So uh, if they can get over that hurdle, if they can meet that uh, criteria, then they can look to defer those crop insurance payments uh, that they may receive. So if you're used to just selling all of your crop at harvest, then yeah. you're not going to be eligible. You will not be eligible to defer those crop insurance, uh, insurance payments. So but if you are selling, you know, half and half, for instance, and uh, it's over 50%, and there's some case law that will support that, so there, there's some tax court decisions that have uh, basically set some precedent there. But if you are typically selling over half of your corn, for instance, into next year, and you have a lot of crop insurance uh, prevent plant payments for, for corn acres that you didn't plant, then you can defer it. Um, now, it's an all-or-nothing type of uh, an election, so you have to make this election with your tax preparer. You know, you have to talk to them, or if you're doing your own, you have to make a special election. So there has to be a, an addendum to your tax forms. But if you want to do it, you can have that flexibility. Okay. So the other payment that a lot of farmers in Ohio are getting this year is going to be that going to be from the market facilitation program. Yeah. Uh, so is yeah. that different, the way that we can handle that? It is, yeah. That, that mark facilitation payment is, um, is being paid primarily because of, uh, of loss due to trade, you know, and that's strictly on price. So the, the, the tax law is fairly clear. Anything that's related to a price-related payment is not deferrable. So those payments aren't deferrable as, uh, as the others are. So it, it does kind of uh, put our producers in a box a little bit. You know, they don't have a lot of flexibility. And it's going to be a problem for some because the 2018 market facilitation payments, 
that producers received, some of them waited until December of that year to report and didn't receive those until into January of, of 2019. So they've got most all of those 2018 market facilitation payments that were received in 19, and now they're receiving this next round. At least they received 50%, and maybe we're going to get another 25% here this next month. Uh, so there's going to be a pretty good, pretty good slug of MFP payments that these guys are really not going to have any option to do anything with. So that's something that um, is going to create some headaches, I think, for some people in planning. So, yeah. It'd be nice if they would make those payments at different times, I guess. They? Yeah, they would. <laughs> and I think waited and took them in 19, so it's going to be a big slug of payments. I don't think many people were really expecting a second round uh, or third, however you define it. But uh, now the thing that people can do is they can look at income averaging. So um, farmers and fishermen, oddly enough, have the ability to uh, take a chunk of their income, net income, in the current year and distribute it evenly in the prior three years. And really, it's, it's if we see a, a point where we have the, the last three years of low income years and this year is a real high income year, it's a nice tool to even that income out. So now there may not be too many because we had pretty good yields in Ohio in 17 and 18 that uh, kept incomes, I think, at a decent level for most. But there may be the odd producer here and there that had uh, some weather problems and lower incomes that it might be a tool they can use. Now, one program that we might have a lot of people new to is cost share programs with the cover crops that yeah. went in. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit about how that will work with their taxes receiving those cost share payments. Uh, that's pretty straightforward. Um, they're going to, um, if they receive cost share payments in 19 this year, um, they're going to receive that, whatever that cost share payment was, it's going to show up on their 1099G, which they're going to receive from the government. And that's, uh, they, they have to declare that income in the current year. So there's no, no deferring that income, unfortunately. There, there's little flexibility there. Okay, so just to recap, we've got the MFP payments and the cost share that cannot be deferred, but the PP, the prevented plant insurance payments, can be. Can be, yes, and that that's uh, it's a good summary, you know. And again, the PP payments, uh, those uh, that's an all or nothing. So if they're going to try to defer any of that, they have to defer all into 2020. Yeah, that's good information and that income averaging sounds like a good strategy. That's an opportunity perhaps to help level yeah. things out if this year is a challenging year with income. Yeah, it can be. I mean, it, as we looked at things in uh, May and June, I don't think we thought that many growers were going to have high incomes, but I think it's going to work out to where some of them might see a spike just because of those MFP payments kind of all being in the same, same tax year. Yeah, that's one of those you wish you could go back in time if you took that payment yeah. in 2019. <laughs> yeah. But we didn't know we would still be in this boat nope. at yeah. this point. Right, exactly. Well, I think that goes with the prevented plant payments, too. You could defer those, but you never know what the next year is going to be like. That's right. 2020 <laughs> may be a bumper crop with <laughs> high prices, but I'm not going to hold my breath yeah. on that. <laughs> 
So we were chatting earlier that not a lot has changed in the tax world recently, but one thing that has is the way that they're going to handle like kind exchange with farm equipment. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, With the new tax law that was passed uh, the end of December or December of 17. So we've had a year, a couple years to kind of digest all of the tax changes. And I think everyone's uh, understanding how they can claim the there's a QBI deduction, a 20% deduction that most farmers are eligible for. And that's pretty straightforward. But the one thing that's kind of caught people um, unawares, I guess, is the new like-kind exchange rules. Um, the new tax law that was passed declared that 1031 like-kind exchanges could still be used for real property. In other words, land, land and buildings. So we still have the ability to do that like-kind exchange transaction and, and not essentially not have any tax due. We defer the tax. Now, they took that away or they eliminated that like-kind exchange possibility for farm equipment, for uh, all other property, in other words. So where it hits farmers is farm equipment. They, they buy and sell a lot of farm equipment. They trade in a lot, right? So that's something that um, what we have, what we end up with is a taxable transaction when they trade in a piece of farm equipment. So what, what the numbers look like, you know, most of the time growers, farmers have a piece of equipment that's fully expensed, you know, that when they buy a new tractor, they typically write off the entire expense in the year of purchase. Okay, so they take Section 179 expensing or bonus depreciation, they write it off in the year of purchase or very quickly. So when they go to trade it in, what they have is an asset that has no tax basis. It's at zero. So every, you know, whatever they trade it in for, they essentially would have a tax due. Now in the past, that 1031 exchange essentially wiped that out and you just, you wouldn't have had to pay tax in that year. Now we have to, okay? So we have a $200,000 tractor that we're gonna trade in. Has no tax basis. You know, we're gonna buy a new tractor for $300,000. So the boot would have been 100,000, right? So that, that uh, trade-in would have been simple in the past. Now it's not. So now they have to pay tax on that tractor that they're trading in but they can write off the full amount of the new tractor. I know that's, <laughs> it's, it's a, the implications are, I think are more important, okay? What, what they can do is essentially offset it. So it, it's not gonna be a huge effect as far as tax, but it is going to, there's gonna be a benefit for some of them, but there's also gonna be some implications that are negative. The benefit is that the trade-in essentially eliminates some self-employment tax. So that's pretty big, 15.3%. So they eliminate some of that, but on the other hand, state of Ohio tax rules are not the same. You know, they don't match up perfectly with the federal tax law. So what we have, what we end up with is a higher state tax on this tractor trade-in or whatever equipment we're trading in a lower self-employment tax, and then perhaps possible implications for Social Security. And if farmers are considering and thinking about Social Security as a possible part of their retirement, this new mix of income that they're going to get from this new tax law will perhaps give them less Social Security credits and subsequently less Social Security when they retire. So there's two or three factors at play here that they need to consider and talk to their tax practitioner about. 
and it's messy. And I've had more than one farmer that have approached me about this new implication for the Ohio, the, the higher tax for on their Ohio taxes due to this new law. And it's, uh, it's a problem. I mean, it, it's going to be a significant increase in their state of Ohio taxes on some of these tractor trade-ins. So more than you wanted to know, it's and it requires really looking at the numbers other than just kind of yeah. me trying to explain it. It's it's really difficult to explain like this, and I know that. <laughs> it's, no, I think that's an important an important point to bring up, and like you said, working with their tax practitioner yeah. to run the numbers and see yeah. what it's going to look like maybe before they. Uh, decide to make a purchase. Yeah, I mean, it, it's something that um, where, where I've seen it uh, really impact farmers is where they're maybe looking at uh, two or three pieces of equipment. You know, they do get some benefit with the dealer if they're going to do multi-piece trade-in each year. So if they do that, you know, they're going to be pushing some of that income uh, into a higher tax bracket on their Ohio taxes, and it's going to be a higher amount. Uh, so they may consider maybe weighing the benefits of the multi-piece uh, trade-in versus the higher tax rate and maybe, you know, piecing it out over multiple years. Mm -hmm. But some of these growers, you know, they, they have to be trading in two or three pieces a year, so they may not be able to escape that. Right. So let's talk a little bit about tax strategy. Um, you mentioned when we were talking earlier about the QBI deduction. Yeah. So how can farmers use that? Right. Yeah. This is, uh, this is a new deduction as a part of the new tax law, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. And uh, it goes under many different names. Uh, the kind of the technical term is the Qualified Business Income Deduction or QBI deduction. It's also been called the pass-through deduction or just simply the business deduction. You know, it, it's uh, for all businesses other than C-corporations will qualify for this. Uh, trusts and estates, it's a bit different as far as how they claim this, but um, what it is essentially is a 20% deduction on qualified business income. Now that, that term is a, a bit complicated in itself, but mostly for farmers it's going to be uh, Schedule F income, their net income, and uh, they're perhaps going to get up to 20% of a, a deduction on that income that they're going to then be able to deduct and before they calculate taxes. So it's pretty significant. And um, most growers and most farmers are going to qualify for the full 20%. Um, it's, uh, it's one of those things where if we have a high enough income, uh, net income, we start to see phase-outs or what they call limitation phase-ins, which to me is quite funny because what's, <laughs> well, this is the, the IRS, right? And they, they come up with uh, really strange terms for some of the things that they do. But So we have limitation phase-ins, but it doesn't kick in, you know, for a, a married couple or a joint filer, it's $321,400 of net farm income. Now, some will get to that point. You know, we have some, some larger farmers that perhaps might meet that. But for most, they're going to qualify effectively for the 20% deduction, and it's significant. Um, so that's something that uh, I think growers are probably already keyed into a little bit with the last couple of years. The other thing I'll just add is uh, it is a slightly different 
uh, deduction and calculation for cooperatives. So if a grower, if a farmer has sales to cooperatives and sales to independents, so if they sell you know, part of their grain to a cooperative and part of their grain to, let's say, Cargill, which is a non-cooperative, they're going to have to treat that slightly different. Okay. Now, most of it they're just going to hand off to their tax practitioner because, let's face it, most of these guys and, and, and ladies, they're going to be working with tax professionals that work with this every day. However, you know, it's important for them to know strategy and, and be able to communicate so they can do some better planning. So make sure uh, you're having discussions, I guess, is, is what my recommendation would be with, with your tax preparer and, uh, and understand the ramifications of sales to both cooperatives and independents. Now, there's no real clear advantage. Uh, however, you know, it, there can be, depending on their mix of payments that are coming back from the cooperative, so patronage dividends as a result of this new deduction, because the cooperatives have new tax laws too, as far as what they can provide back to their to their uh, their patrons, and then it also has a little bit to do with uh, how much labor a farmer will employ. Okay. <laughs> Strangely enough, so how much W two wage income a farmer is paying someone will impact this deduction calculation for cooperatives. So more than you wanted to know, but the the thing that uh, farmers should realize is you're going to have to separate out the the sales to cooperatives and non-cooperatives and then you're going to have to find some way to separate separate the expenses. So allocating the expenses to bushels that were sold to cooperatives, I know, I know, <laughs> and bushels that are sold to independents and it can be very simple. It can just be on a per unit basis, you know. Okay. But they can also they do it uh, field by field. They can do it that way. They want to get real complicated. The thing that I, the IRS has come out with this summer is once they choose a method to allocate expenses, they have to stick with it. Good information. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> now, so you have um, your tax schools coming up. Yeah. Yeah. When are those? And yeah. Well, we have our tax schools uh, throughout the month of November and uh, early December, and those are two-day tax schools for tax professionals. Um, probably not for your layperson. Mm -hmm. You know, there are, we do get some farmers that do come because they are doing all of their own complex accounting, or they may have someone on staff that's doing that, and also they'll follow up with doing their own taxes. So we do get some that aren't. Um, qualified you know CPAs or enrolled agents that, that come and we want to welcome everyone obviously so you two come too you're invited uh, but those tax schools are for tax professionals two days pretty in-depth uh, and that's uh, that's kind of where we start now we also have a couple of webinars one is December 16th and that's uh, that's a five-hour webinar it's an all-day webinar for also kind of geared towards tax professionals but it's all in agriculture so if you want just ag-related tax issues, we'd certainly welcome you to that. And uh, it's, it's somewhat high level, but it's, it's something that I think the layperson also could uh, benefit from. And then we have one more, and that's going to be the one in, in January, and January 13th in the afternoon, 1 to 3, and that's our farmer tax webinar. And that's for just, you know, everyone. And uh, also farm farmland owners so we'll also have some uh, 
some facts in there for those that own farmland and may not farm. Okay, great. So some of these topics that we touched on, just maybe a little more in-depth. Yeah, we will definitely hit all these topics in, in more in-depth and some other, other key features uh, that we see as important for planning. You know, there, there's some strategy that uh, farmers can look at as well. Yeah. So Barry, this has been great. Are there any other resources you'd like to point people to if they want to learn more? Yeah. Yeah. We've got a good website. So I'll, I'll mention our farm office website and that's uh, that's a joint venture between a few of us that are doing kind of ag law and, and tax mm-hmm. and, and farm management. So just uh, Google Farm Office, and you can find that pretty easily. And it's uh, that's where all of our tax school information is, and uh, people can find dates, and be able to register, and and uh, also access some of the articles that that we've written the last year. Yeah, and we'll include the link in the description. Okay, well. great. <laughs> well, thank you, Barry. Appreciate the time, and I'm sure pleasure. we'll see you around a lot this winter at meetings. I hope so, and good luck to everyone with their their tax year. I just want to remind our listeners that we do have our new website, go.osu.edu forward slash AFM. If you want to listen to past episodes or hit some of those links, um, check out the bios of our past, um, our past interviewees as well. So check that out. Remember to like us and give us five-star ratings and all that wherever you're listening. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. Join us again in two weeks for our next episode.